Welcome to the podcast of Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Today's message was originally preached December 11th, 2011 by Gerald Schrock and it is entitled, The Remembrance. Somewhat different on the way to church this morning. We're listening to Christmas music. And if you know me and our family, we love Christmas music. Uh, so it seems a bit different to be focusing on the advent of Christ, the death of Christ, the passion. But it's fitting. It's very fitting. And this, this song has been going through my mind. O sacred head. O sacred head now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded, with thorns thine only crown, how pale thou art with anguish, with sore abuse and scorn, how dost thy visage languish, languish, which once was bright as morn. What thou, my Lord, hast suffered, was all for sinners' gain, mine, mine was the transgression, But thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior. Tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor, vouchsafe to me thy grace. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end? O make me thine forever. And should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love for thee. Oh, make me thine forever. And should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love for thee. I think that should be each one of our testimony this morning. It's certainly mine. As a scriptural reading, I'd like to look to Matthew 26. Uh, reading verse 17 through 25. And I'd like for us to stand as we read this passage of Scripture in reverence to the Gospel. Matthew 26, 17 through 25. Or maybe we'll read through 29. Now the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said... And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it unto them, saying, 
Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your great, great gift to us of your broken body, of your shed blood that was so freely given to us for the remission of our sins. Thank you, dear Father, that we can be here this morning because of what you've done. We can be here, we can be lifting up our hearts to you, and we can be um, having a communion with the Father that would have not been possible had it not been for your willingness to to give of yourself this way as, as a sacrificial lamb of God. And dear Lord, as we go through this message this morning, as we read your word, as we uh, meditate on it, uh, we just pray that your spirit would bring these truths into our very, into the very marrow and fiber of our souls in a way that we can really experience it. We just commit this time into your hands again for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'd like to look now into 1 Corinthians 11. Paul talks of of the one that looks into the mirror and uh, goes his own way. He says, you know, that person that does that and doesn't make a change, isn't changed by what he sees or doesn't take... uh, steps to to write what he sees you know he it's it's really been worthless for him to look into that mirror and in the same way the remembrance of christ here this morning if we look at it and if it doesn't do something to us if it doesn't change us uh it's not going to have been worth anything really to us except maybe having kept us from being somewhere where we, where we shouldn't be but that that's an off that would be an awful waste if you know if we've just been here and it it uh, it just is a you know looking into the mirror but not seeing anything if it doesn't do anything for us and so I pray that this morning as we look at this it'll it'll have life changing effect in our lives um, it has in mind I've seen as I've studied this scene it's made me again renewed my gratefulness. And probably not as much as it should have. I'll, I'll be first to admit that it, it seems like the more I look at this central theme of the Bible, the less I, in some ways, understand it. This morning, um, or last week, when we were talking about communion coming up, and I, I don't like to do this, but I'm going to this morning, uh, Philip told me, he said, now, Dad, what does communion really mean? It's that long service, so forth, and I said, well, I told I promised him I'm going to try to make this simple, this message simple enough that he can understand it and he can understand what it means. And so this morning, if you don't understand what it means, and I'm talking not just to Philip, but I don't know if all of these children are in the congregation here this morning, or we, I asked Philip to name off. He didn't know why it was for, but now he does. Name off all this, you know, in and, in and close to his grade. So all these children, Philip, Austin, Megan, Copper, uh, Kurt, Amy, Marjorie, Joel, Isaac. If you don't understand uh, what I'm saying this morning, if I missed anybody, forgive me. 
But if you don't understand what I'm saying this morning, you feel free to raise your hand and uh, say, no, I don't understand that. Uh, I do want it to be simple enough. And yet, you know, even for myself, sometimes I get into the middle of it and I feel like, do I really understand this? Do Do I catch it? Let's look to 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, and I'd like to use that for a text in, in the rest of the message. Paul speaking here in verse uh, 23, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Thanks. This morning, when you hear the word communion, when you hear the word remembrance, it's one and the same. In some ways, I think this is more of a remembrance, perhaps, than communion. But it's one and the same. And there's different ways of, of thinking about it. This, this morning, I'm thinking of more as a remembrance. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, so as often as you eat this physical uh, or this, this wheat, this bread, it may, it may be rice for some people, and drink this cup, this wine, this grape juice, uh, this fruit juice. You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And it's not just because of the bread and the cup, but it's the manner in which it's done. And the purpose for which it's done. Like they look back at the Jews. When they celebrated the Passover, back you know when this was happening, when, in, the, in the scene there in Matthew 26... That was happening right over the Passover time. And when they were doing that, no doubt, there were many Jews gathered together, many Israelite families gathered together, and those that were truly interested in sharing their faith to their children and keeping the faith going were faithful Israelites. They were no doubt retelling the story of of Exodus 12 about the, the blood of the Lamb needing to be applied to those doorposts, needing to be stroked on the doorpost and over the header. They were no doubt saying this story to their children. The lamb having to be killed, that blood taken, and having to be put on the doorpost for a reason. Um, And that was for the salvation of their eldest family member. They were telling their children how that God saved them by doing this. He saw this, their effort in putting that blood on he saw that and he applied that to them as, as belief on their part. And, and the death angel, when it came, it passed over them. It didn't touch their family. It didn't touch their eldest. It didn't touch the eldest of their livestock. It passed over them. It left them, delivered them. The other thing they would be telling them their, their children about was how that through that occasion, through the death angel coming and and destroying the firstborn of the Egyptians, their children, and their livestock, Pharaoh was finally willing to release the children of Israel. Not only did he release them, but the people around them said, get out of here, leave quickly before 
Pharaoh changes his mind again. And I'm sure they were, you know, retold this in detail. They probably had a lot of stories in there that we don't have any idea of that they brought up and told. I'd like to, I would enjoy hearing those stories. I'm sure they have family stories. Um, That was, you know, probably told and retold during this time of the Passover. And then there were some people, I'm sure that they told about who, because of their pride, and maybe they didn't tell their children this, or maybe they didn't realize it for what it was, but some people, because of their pride and unbelief, who those people didn't, maybe of their own Jewish kindred, didn't apply that blood on their doorpost. Maybe from unbelief, from pride, they decided, no, we're not going to do that. You know, we're too proud to maybe of the Egyptians. The Egyptians could have done this as well, I believe. Of them, they, they were too proud to identify with God's people. They were too proud to go out there and kill that lamb and put the, the blood on the doorpost. They didn't want to be identified with the Jewish race. Uh, and, and maybe uh, some of the Israelites, they were too skeptical. You know, what's this Moses thinking? We have to take this lamb and, you know, cut its throat and let the blood come out and take this blood and put it over the post and somehow that's going to keep the death angel from coming. You know, maybe there were some of those that, that said, no, we're not going to do that. That Moses doesn't know what he's talking about. All he's done is given us trouble from, you know, to this point. He's just alienated us from the, from the uh, Egyptian people and just made it hard for us. We're not, we're not going to do that. And, and maybe they, you know, these parents here at the Passover were telling their children how that their family lost a family member. They lost the oldest of their livestock. Um, you know, there's an uncle there that they don't have or an aunt there that they don't have because of that person's unbelief, unwillingness to, to follow Moses' direction. Well, we're not there this morning. And when Jesus was talking to the disciples here, he was changing that, that concept. He was changing, he was taking them through a time of change from that old covenant to the new covenant. He was introducing the new covenant. No longer was this lamb, this sacrificial lamb, no longer was it going to be, need to be slain again at these Passovers. Uh, he was telling them that something different was coming to be. There's a new covenant here. And today that we define that more broadly as the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Jesus was introducing this new covenant, and it's through himself. So today, in contrast, we as Christians, when we're thinking of, of the uh, Passover, we're, <clears throat> when we're thinking of the remembrance, we're thinking of a Passover too, but we're thinking of it a different way. We're thinking of the new covenant way that Jesus introduced. When we remember the Lord's broken body and the blood... Of the new covenant, we're thanking Jesus for having done that. We're thanking Jesus for having taken, for being that sacrificial lamb. In Revelation, it talk about, talks about Jesus, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. That means the Jews here, when, even when they were celebrating the Passover, they were just celebrating a picture, really, of, of what was coming, of Jesus coming and being that that 
true lamb that would stand in the place would would make that connection would renew that would re- restore our relationship with God again that was broken back there in Genesis with with the fall of of man so we're thanking him for having stepped in there for for offering himself as a perfect sacrifice perfect as in sinless being without sin being righteous being perfectly uh, god coming down to earth uh, like we're going to hear much more about as a babe in a manger, as the baby that, that came to Joseph and Mary, the perfect son of God, perfect son of man, perfect in that sense, but also perfect as in, as in eternal. He's before the creation. He's beyond the end of creation. He's perfect. He was there as the lamb slain before the foundation, before creation. He was perfect in that sense as well. Christ's broken body, his life-giving word revealed to us. Christ's broken body, you can say, is is the life-giving word revealed to us. The word like John talks about. He came in the... uh, and maybe I should look that up. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, I believe is what it says. God, the Word, the, the life-giving Word that's revealed to us is Christ's broken body that's, that ushered in that Word. Christ's bloodshed equals His life-saving power shed for whosoever believeth in Him, like it says in John 3.16. His bloodshed it's, it's equals His life-saving power. That's what it brings to us. That possibility that whosoever believeth on him should have everlasting life. It's that power that gives us, has the possibility to give us life if we're willing to reach out to it. You know, when the the Israelites, when they saw what had happened to the Egyptians, no doubt, according to the Old Covenant, they rejoiced. I think there may have been some Israelites that were saddened by what they saw, but for the most part, they rejoiced when they crossed the Red Sea. And they saw, Israel, uh, uh, they saw Pharaoh's whole army being drowned in that Red Sea. They rejoiced. Miriam led a song of, of victory. There's a difference today. In contrast, in the New Testament, in accordance with the New Covenant, there's no joy at seeing the death of the wicked. As, as, they, as was the Hebrews and seeing the, de- the suffering of the Egyptians from unbelief. We don't rejoice to see the death of the firstborn of the wicked or see the death of the wicked because of their unbelief. We, 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 it's different for us. Instead, there's a real sadness when we see people rejecting the blood and the broken body. When we think of that continuing judgment uh, on those who don't apply the blood to the doorpost of their hearts. Now, from the beginning, when God judged Adam for his sin, Adam and Eve, when they fell into sin, God judged them. That judgment carries through until the end. It doesn't stop. That judgment is on all men, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the scripture says. The lamb, when it was sacrificed, served as a sort of 
of a way for man to come out of that judgment. And that's what Christ's blood, what his broken body does for us. It serves as a way for us to be freed from that judgment that God has put on all men for their sinfulness. And we don't, as Christians, we don't rejoice that God judges on God. For, we don't rejoice when we see the death of the wicked. When we see the death of those that don't apply the, the blood to the doorpost of their heart because of their own pride or their unbelief or their, their ignorance. We don't rejoice at that. We're in a new covenant era now. Every Christian, I believe, is called to be a Moses. Called to give God's message of judgment and hope to those that are, are held in bondage to, to Pharaoh's regime. And think of that song, Good I'm Moses. I love that song. Good I'm that negro spiritual. Way down to Egypt land, tell O Pharaoh, let my people go. I think that's where we need to be. That's where the Christian is. He's, he's called by God to be that Moses, to be that ambassador, to go down and tell old Pharaoh, to tell his people, to tell the people that there's a way out. There's a better way. There's a way to get out of that bondage. <clears throat> there's a reason Jesus set in place a, a remembrance a communion, a, a service like we have this morning. There's a reason he, he ordained that. He knew how man is. He knew we'd need reminders. He knew that I would need frequent reminders. That's just the way I am, the way we are. We need to be reminded. Reminded of God's hatred for sin, God's judgment on sin, man's transgression, Maybe that should have been first. God's righteous judgment. Reminders of our great salvation. God's path to a restored relationship. The atoning work of Christ. We need to be reminded of these. These very real truths in our lives as Christians. Without these, we're doomed. We're in judgment. Without these truths being taken into our lives. Reminders of our call as ambassadors to the unsaved, of being Moseses to the unsaved, of being Josephs, of being little Christ most and first. Being little Christ to those still held under Pharaoh's bondage. Pharaoh being Satan. Under Satan's bondage. Reminders of our identity. We're in this world. We're not of this world. Like John fifteen nineteen says. Joseph was a good example of this. And to think of this. Of how that. When he was ready. When he was getting close to his dying. Days. Or in those. He called his brothers. And he told them that. When the Lord is going to visit us sometime, and when he does, I want you to take my bones out with you. You know, for the time that Joseph spent in Egypt, for the way his family had rejected him, his brothers had rejected him, 
with all the prestige, the power, the influence, the style of life he was offered there in Egypt, he didn't change his identity. He identified with his with God's people until the very last. He said, you know, when I die, I want to be carried out. It's true, God had brought him up in Egypt for a purpose, but he still stayed true to his identity. And Moses, too, made that decision. In some ways, Moses seemed to have paid the price at a different point of his life, but he made the decision. He made the decision to, to suffer the afflictions of, of, uh, with God's people instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. He made that decision to, to identify himself with the Hebrews even when he had been brought up in Pharaoh's court. Reminders of our identity. We need to be reminded of that. Today we see through a glass darkly yet, Paul says. But someday we'll see face to face. There won't be the glass in front of us. You know, our glass may be dark today. There's a lot of things that I'm sure these young fellows don't understand that I and young uh, girls don't understand the, the names that I said this morning. There's a lot of things I don't understand. The more I study this, the more I realize I don't really understand a lot of, of, of God. Um, but that's okay. God says his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than our, than our thoughts. And, and we're, not called to, we're not called to understand everything. We're called to simply to, to go by faith in what we do understand and move ahead. And we do see through a glass darkly. But our vision is much brighter than that glass that the, the Jews were seeing through at the Passover, at the same time when Jesus was instituting instituting this new covenant. We can see much more clearly than what even maybe the apostles could. We have the word compiled for us here. Uh, We can read it. The Jews in celebrating the Passover, they were focused on that deliverance offered to them by God through their taking the initiative and applying the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. What most of those Jews didn't probably, or probably didn't, and I should say didn't, I think, didn't realize was how small a window into the eternal reality of infinite proportion. That's a big sentence, okay, big word. They didn't understand how really big a picture they were missing uh, in their celebration. They didn't realize that actually they were seeing into something that was so much larger. Maybe like the person that looks up in the sky and he says, you know, wow, it's, it's, it's just wonderful up there. And they don't realize that the sky just keeps on going and going and going. And that's how, you know, then you get a telescope and you say, well, I can see so much more and and, and then it just gets, the universe just gets bigger and bigger. Well, I see the Jews there as, as seeing through that glass darkly. They saw some stars, but that's about all they saw. We see with, with maybe more like a, a large telescope. Uh, but it's enough. 
It's all that we need for now. We have so many advantages. We have the window. That window is open to us through this remembrance that's ordained. We have the advantage of history, the Old Testament typology of the Lamb, of how the Lamb, God shows us that picture of his son coming as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And then we have the future revealed in Revelations, the revealed salvation. And I'd like to read a passage from uh, Revelations 5. Revelations 5, 9 through 11. And they sang a new song saying, You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe... It's not just for us here this morning. It wasn't just for the Jews, but of every tribe, of every tongue, and people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. Kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea. And all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him, to Jesus Christ, to the Lamb slain from the beginning of the world or before then. And to the Lamb forever and ever. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Do you know that? In many, in communist countries or in places where the word of God is controlled, where they allow the scripture to be preached, they won't allow revelations often to be preached. There is something about revelations that's victorious that gives the Christian as an elevated sense, a sense of victory that people in communist regimes do not appreciate. And for that reason, they will not let this word, and China is one of them, I understand. They won't, they won't let revelations be taught in their, in their three, what is it called, the three, the patriot, three, anyways, they're in, the, in the state church there. But the Christian does, is promised victory. He's promised, just like it says here, to be able to reign with the Lord and to receive, to uh, God has made us kings and priests. You know, that, that's beautiful. So now thinking back to maybe a bit more practical, worthy remembrance. Can we be worthy? Verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11 says this, whoever, Wherefore, whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the blood and body of the Lord. Can we be worthy? of taking this remembrance, taking this communion of the blood and body of the Lord? Well, I would say, if I were asked that question, I would say, no, of ourselves, we're not worthy. I'm not worthy. And I don't believe any of you are either. Of ourselves, of yourself. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. So there's nothing that I could do. There's, I couldn't go anywhere. 
uh, I couldn't do anything, sacrifice anything to be worthy of coming together with you here this morning and celebrating this communion service. There's nothing that I or you could do to be worthy of that. Yes and no. So I'll leave that hanging maybe just a bit. There is certainly an unworthy way to observe communion. Maybe I'll look at that a bit and then come back to this other a little bit more. You know, Judas was in that group, and there's some controversy whether Judas partook of communion or not. I would believe that he probably did. Um, But he certainly took it in an unworthy way, in an unworthy manner. You know, a little examination on his part could have provided uh, a, a life-saving change in his, in his heart, his life. It could have made a huge difference for him. 1 Corinthians 11, preceding this passage here, in verse 17, um, it talks, Paul was addressing the Corinthians here, uh, because of the way they observed their love feast. Uh, and then they would have the Lord's Supper after that. Matthew Henry says that they would have this love feast, and then after that they would have the, the Lord's Supper, and, and the rich, uh, after, after some time, the, the rich would come with their own wine and their own food, and before long, abuses crept in, Not only did the Christians not wait for one another, but the rich ones shamed their poorer brethren by having lavish meals and not sharing them. Some went away hungry, whereas others were actually drunk. Since the Lord's Supper often followed the love feast, they would still be drunk, intoxicated, when they sat down to partake the Lord's Supper. Now, that's an unworthy way. We would certainly say that to observe the Lord's Supper, wouldn't we? Or to observe the remembrance, to come drunk. It would be an ungrateful way. So how can we be worthy? First of all, it says it's by faith. Faith in Christ. Faith that's willing to take action and apply that blood on the doorpost of our hearts. So it's not, so in that sense, we have to take action. Even James says it's not just by faith that we're saved, but it's by works. Works following through, showing our faith. We're mortals, and God realizes that. And by his grace, we're, he, we can be worthy. But he expects something from us. He expects a grateful heart that, that works. We're to, to observe the remembrance in a grateful manner. How, again, how practical ways to, re, to remember, to observe the remembrance. We're supposed to be grateful being, being grateful means that we have a, a, an attitude of thankfulness toward the giver. Capital G here, toward the giver. We have an attitude of thankfulness. I'm going to throw in a little story here. I, I hope I have time. Um, we, there was an employee one time who was, was working at his place of employment, which happened to be at a... At a uh, house or, or re- repairing a barn or, or something of that nature. And this, his, uh, the, 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 the owner where he was working, 
this employee was working under another employee, and, and the owner would bring out snacks to, to these employees. In this case, it happened to be uh, rich chocolate bars and, and chocolate milk or hot chocolate. And, th- the, and this was especially uh, nice because this was a, during the winter time, and you know, hot chocolate with the steam coming out and fresh brownies. How, how can you beat that on a cold winter day when you're outside working? And, and uh, these, these employees really appreciated this. This happened a few days in a row. And, but there was, uh, there was one employee that, that got somewhat disgruntled. And he actually talked to the, the owner and told her what he was disgruntled about. He told her that, you know, you really need to put more chocolate into your hot chocolate. It's just not strong enough. It's just not strong enough. And anyways, um, the, the, the owner didn't say anything about this, but, but uh, this employee's employer found out about it. It was, it was, it was dealt with. Um, you know, it's a little story and, and maybe somewhat uh, basic, but the idea is, is when God has given us so much that we don't deserve... Uh, and we act a little bit snooty toward it, you know. Like if, just take it for granted. You know, we, we deserve this salvation. Like I'm afraid I do too much of the time. Or maybe I don't think that way, but maybe I live my life that way. Isn't that, doesn't that just really show an ungrateful spirit on my part? Um, you know, that employee didn't deserve get a, getting a, a break each morning. It's not something he signed up for. Uh, the, the, the owner did it out of the, you know, just out of the goodness of her heart, she gave this. And the least he could have done is say thank you. Um, but how much more for us as Christians when we, you know, with this tremendous gift that God's given us, we kind of are snooty about it, I'm afraid. We, we you know, we really don't try to even understand how great a gift this is and and feel the heart of God in this. Bring, being grateful means we'll appreciate the giver's desires. The, the Corinthians here, they were struggling with this. They were being selfish, rude, and crass toward each other. They were doing a love feast, but indulging themselves and not concerning themselves about each other. So they were, in this love feast, almost it was a paradox. They weren't concerning themselves about each other, when they were supposedly having a love feast. You know, this whole thing about not being concerned with each other was diametrically opposed to, to Christ's teaching of, of love for each other. The Corinthians had reduced the communion feast to heathen practice. You know, they had come out of heathen practice. And it looks like they were slipping back into it. Another day that they were using to fulfill their own lust. And their own desires as opposed to what Christ wanted for them. When we're truly grateful, we'll think of what Christ's desires are for us. And we'll be trying to do that. We'll be focused on that. They weren't doing this here. Paul was reprimanding them for this. <coughs> we're, we're to remember Christ's call to take up the yoke. This is a good way of remembrance. 
The will of Jesus is for our remembrances, for our times together, to, to, for those to foster spiritual renewal and spiritual rest, as opposed to fostering Corinthians' fightings and selfishness. Jesus says, come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. We hear a lot of focus put on the structure of the free gift transaction, of how that Jesus gives us this free gift, of how he's the lamb, of God slain from the beginning of the world for us. But maybe we don't put enough focus on just taking up the yoke of Christ, just taking that yoke, just getting into it, just being there and learning of him in that yoke. Maybe we don't put enough focus there. I believe that's really where we need to be. To experience Christ is more important than sacrifices and offerings of learning and understanding. To really experience Christ, I believe, is more important than sacrifices of offerings, of learning and understanding. It's good to know, but it's even more important to do, to be. Take my yoke. Learn from me. We are to remember Christ's call to not commit offenses and to forgive offenses. To not commit offenses and to forgive offenses. Luke 17, 1 through 5, Jesus says to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. I believe Jesus is saying here, offenses are going to come. They will happen, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he repents against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Paul chastised the Corinthians for their lack of thought for each other. Going back to them again. The rich ate their own food and drank their own wine at the Feast of Remembrance. You know, this left the, the poor feeling hungry, sober, and left out. I put sober in there for a reason. The rich lost the blessing of sharing, the poor, the blessing of receiving. The rich were self-indulgent, the poor were covetous. The outcome wasn't pretty. You know, the results of their selfish and immature action resulted in quarrels and divisions, and the name of Christ suffered shame. Their works were works not of repentance and of good fruit, but of riotous behavior and unfitting to the disciple of Christ. Maybe the rich were drinking their wine. Maybe they were drunk, and that was wrong. Maybe the poor didn't have wine, and they weren't drunk, and they wished they were, and that was wrong. Maybe they had just forgot about the real reason for remembrance, for coming together and learning of Christ. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm gentle 
and lowly in heart. I will give you rest. Maybe they had just forgot about why they were supposed to be together. They were to come on one level. They were to meet to exalt Christ and not draw attention to themselves. Now I believe there's an eternal principle here in that death is a great is the great leveler. When we die to ourselves, when we see Christ for who he is, we repent of ourselves, we die to ourselves, we in faith reach out to Christ, it has a leveling effect on us. And they call death the great leveler. And that's really an eternal principle as well as a physical one. Uh, said no hearses, you, you don't see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, you don't see a hearse pulling someone's possessions behind them to the graveyard. And Christian, he can't come to the cross pulling a U-Haul either. You know, our own good works, our own works are as filthy rags, Jesus says, or Paul says, in the eyes of God. When we, poor or rich, come to God, not thinking of ourselves, but on the goodness of the suffering Lord, and then I believe we're really in a position to be blessed in our remembrance. Remembering Christ is an action. It's not just about thinking about Christ, but I believe it's an action that, that we take in to our souls. It calls us to reach up to God and out to our, our neighbor. Like it says in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, you shall love the Lord your God. Jesus says this, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love the Lord your God. And I'm trying to look beyond the ceiling here. Uh, love God as your, uh, with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind. And that, that's the first commandment. So that's up. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Remembrance is a, of, of Christ. Remembrance is a call to action. It calls us to reach up to God and out to our neighbor. I'd like to close with this one little phrase that was taken out of uh, Luke 17, verse 5. And I'll read it once and then I would like for us to say the last three words together. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Can we say that together? And the Bethel Mennonite Church said to the Lord, increase our faith. God bless you. You've been listening to The Remembrance, a message by Gerald Schrock. This podcast is brought to you from the Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Find us online at BethelMennoniteOnline.org. And with that, it's time to say so long, and thanks for listening.